Hey, we are on the topic of, in the chapter with daily time with the news. Oh, I'm sorry, you're already getting to my notes. Daily time with God uh, is the point that uh, we've been dealing with. Now, the key phrase that we saw there on page 37, this is chapter 3 where we're at. Page 37, chapter 3, daily time with God. A couple key phrases that come out with this issue with daily time with God. Number one is daily, okay, is the issue there. So that implies consistency, as we're going to see, is the constant theme that's there. Now, not only consistency, the thing is, it's consistency with any endeavor in life is how you get maximized the, the, the endeavor itself right if you want to be a good golfer what do you got to do once a year do it no you got to do it on a regular basis if you want to be good in school and academia what are you going to do once a month crack open the books no uh, you got to be consistent it's the same thing when it comes to spiritual things the second key phrase that we've been dealing with if you've been checking it out is the issue of a relationship now that's what i've talked about before i think i've been spared a little bit with my testimony not growing up in church world i call it Okay, uh, so there's pros and cons with that. I didn't have much of a knowledge base, uh, but I think part of it I was spared with some of the funny little weird things that we do in the church, okay? Even when it comes to what we've been talking about, spending daily time with God. We get all religious about it, and, and frankly, I think that's where we get messed up a lot. But we saw there on top page 37, the whole premise of this daily time with God is, can I actually spend time with the creator of the universe? And that's what it is. That's the whole theme. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's one thing to be saved from eternal damnation in hell by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and get to go to heaven when we die. But in the meantime, every single day, I get to spend time with the hamburglar. I'm still looking for him. Have you found him, Ruth? He's still not out there. Where did he go? I tell you what. No, with God, the creator of the universe. That's who he is. I mean, that's exciting. That's a thrill. Okay, and when you keep that in mind, I think it gets rid of all the little funny games that we, we, we play. And we saw the first aspect. There's three in this particular chapter that we're dealing with. One was the issue, of course, with prayer. Tonight, we're dealing with the issue of Bible uh, study uh, slash, if we get that far, with memorization. Okay, let's memorize that. Uh, that's called memorization. Okay, now the issue there, that's the three things that would be good to do in daily time with God. Okay. And again, uh, you peel back the layers of what is the motive. It's a relationship. It's because we love him. It's because we want to get to know him as best and as intimate as possible before we ever get to heaven. I'll still never forget this. I think I uh, shared this before. But as a brand new Christian, as I began to read the Bible, because I figured that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian, uh, it dawned on me, wait a second, you mean to tell me that I can actually get to know Jesus Christ, the one who saved me, better before I get to heaven? Well, this just keeps getting better. And that's, you know, you call it sanctification is the big Christianese word. Call it Christian maturity. Call it what you want. But that's what it is. We're getting to know Jesus in our relationship with the creator of the universe more, deeper, just like in a normal relationship is the theme. Okay, so we saw, when can I meet with God? Praise God. Top of page 38. We saw anytime we want because God is omnipresent. He's with us wherever we go as his child. It's an absolutely mind blower. Specific time and place, that's where we talked about in prayer. Consistency is the key. Okay, if you, uh, it's what, it, like, again, anything you get in life. If you only talk to your spouse once every six months, sure you're married, sure you got that ring on the finger, you've got your relationship, but it's about quality. Okay, if you want to have the best possible relationship, uh, it needs to be consistent. Okay, and then we saw there with prayer life. And then, of course, the stinger was this. Give me a break. Flip it around. If Jesus, the Son of God, found it important enough to daily spend time with God the Father in prayer, and we don't, Ooh, okay. But let's take a look. A personal Bible study is where we're at, the top, uh, towards the top of page 39. Personal Bible study. 
Okay, now folks, this Bible, okay, is a book of relationships. You guys are confused. Uh, yes, that is relationships. Uh, it's a book of truth, okay? Uh, can we trust the Bible? Did the Bible come from God? Okay, maybe one of these days we'll get into a fun study of that. But yes, you can. This came from God, okay? And, and it's trustworthy. It's true. And so here's the point. If we live in a world that is full of lies, who's the father of all lies? Satan. And the Bible says that Satan is the God, little g, of this world. Then everything that comes from this world is a lie. And that means that everything then, therefore, in this book is anti-that, anti-lie, i.e. truth, Okay? Okay, now, the issue is this. I like what one uh, Christian, I uh, forget the name of the song, but one Christian uh, songwriter had said basically the premise was uh, that, uh, uh, you know, as a non-Christian, if you're anything like me, you would say that this is a book whooped up by man to brainwash. Were you ever there as a non-Christian? That this is a book to brainwash people and all they ever want is your money and they turn in some religious person and, and you never get to have any fun and blah, blah, blah. It's here to brainwash you. Now, what he has said, the premise is, you know what? We're all being brainwashed. It's just as Christians, we choose who's gonna wash our brains. And then he made a point and he said that, hey man, my brain's pretty dirty. It needs a good scrubbing. Okay, but the issue is because we live in this world. This world is so full of lies. And, and, and I got saved when I was 25. So I had 25 years of, listen, brainwashing from the lies of the evil one. And however long you got saved, that's how long you were under because you're being brainwashed by somebody. And we're going to see another theme that's tonight is you're being conformed to somebody. It's either Jesus or it's not Jesus. Okay, it's the same principle that's going on. And so the issue is, who is going to wash your brain? Who is going to dictate your mind and your thinking and your thought pattern and your habits, etc.? okay? And so as Christians, it's supposed to be this book. But unfortunately, that's not the case. We'll see that again tonight. Okay, how do you know what is right if you don't get acquainted with the truth, i.e. the Bible? How do you know that you're being lied to? How do you know that you're being deceived? How do you know that you're living a life that is displeasing to God, the one who saved you from hell, if you don't get in the book that talks about it. Do, do you start to see why then, therefore, not just with prayer, but now even Bible study, the enemy would not want you to do that? No, because you're going to find out how you're being lied to, how you're being deceived, how you're being tricked into living a life that's not just displeasing to God, but it's damaging to you. Praise God, we can't lose our salvation. But you know what? That we can get involved in some sins and things of that nature and it hurts us, right? Wouldn't you want to know how to avoid that? It's all in the book. Okay, let's take a look. It says there, uh, personal Bible says, Paul says this, and he's quoting Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. Here's what he says. He says, I urge you. Now, underline that word there, urge, okay? Right there. I like that word. That's kind of like a cool guy word. Okay, I urge. Have you guys ever urged for something? Urge for something? You know, that triple bacon cheeseburger at Wendy's, you know, Johnson, man, the big old fatty fries, man. Those things, ooh. Right? That's urge. I can't urge. That's the same word that Paul's using here. So, so there's, a, there's like a, a, a salivating effect. It's like, I urge to go do that. I urge. And you guys got your own thing. Apparently, I haven't eaten supper tonight, so you can understand why the motive for that analogy. But anyway, I urge for that thing, right? Is what's going on there. Now, but not only that, the urgency implies importance. Okay, not just the drive, but the importance of it. Notice Paul didn't say, I, uh, I, I think you need to consider the possibility of what I'm about to say. I, I think, church, church, I, I, uh, I think you need to launch a committee to discover the importance of Bible study. And how said it before, say it again. I'll give a nickel to the guy I got it from. How many guys realize the phrase is true, that for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee? 
You notice that? Praise God, he sent his son and got the job done. But anyway, that's right. But I, I digress. I urge. Notice what he said. He didn't say ponder this over a cup of coffee. Okay, that's the word, urge. This is important. This is some, some drive. Paul is serious, and we need to take it serious too. So what's he say? Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, you've got to grab the context of what's going on there before he ever gets to Romans chapter 12. What's the first 11 chapters about? Paul blows away uh, anything that man could ever try to uh, think that he could get to heaven uh, on his own. That we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Uh, there's no one good, no one righteous, no, not one. Then he goes into Romans chapter 4. That was up to chapter 3. He goes into with Abraham. He's justified by faith, not of works, on and on. And then Paul goes, man, then I still got to deal with the sin nature, the things I don't want to do, I do. And it's, it's, uh, uh, who can rescue me from this body of death? Praise God. Romans 8 kicks in. Uh, praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victories we learn as we saw before to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. Feed the white Dog, not the black dog that's the way out of this goofball mess okay on and on then he talks about israel and he's basically saying listen i don't care what you come up with jew gentile doesn't matter you are cut off from god you deserve his wrath uh and he's patiently even enduring the you impugning his holiness day after day therefore he saved us completely a hundred percent uh totally forgiven in light of that i urge you by the mercies of god then to present your bodies as a living, holy, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, the Greek word there I believe is logikos, that means logical. This is your spiritual or logical service of worship. Why? Because isn't that logical? After all God's done for us and spared us by his mercies, what we deserve, we get the complete polar opposite. This is logical. This is common sense. All right? Here's what you do. Number one, do not be conformed. That's your first blank there. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay? So we're going to look at a negative, a stay away, and a positive. Here's what you need to do. And the first thing he calls out is do not be conformed by this world. Can I translate that? Don't be brainwashed. J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament. I love what he says here in the Greek. Uh, a transliteration going on here. He says, do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. You catch it? Just like with being brainwashed, okay? And we're supposed to be, if you will, because you're being brainwashed by somebody. You and I right now, even as Christians, everybody on this planet, Christian and non-Christian, we are being conformed. We are being molded into something. Okay? We are, right now. It's not a static uh, thing. It's like, well, I'm kind of in this middle ground, and I haven't chosen whatever, and I'm not doing this. No. Okay, it's like an escalator. You ever tried to run up an escalator? <laughs> you didn't plan on it, but your son went up there, so you had to go get him. Okay, but anyway, so, but anyway, so, <laughs> so, but anyway, so you found out, man, if you keep running, you keep going, eventually, hopefully, if you're going fast enough, you get to the top, okay? But the moment that you stop, what happens? <laughs> Okay, that's the same thing with the Christian life, guys. If we don't continue to seek and strive and daily after God, we're going to slide right back down. We are being conformed into something. A good thing, a potter's analogy in the scripture, right, is a big old lump of clay, right? And it's, it's easy to be molded and shaped into something, right? It's the same thing. That's what he's talking. Now, he's, here's the point. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. When you get done being baked, if you will, at the end of the day, don't look like the world. I urge you, brethren, in the mercies of God, after all he's done for us, here's your logical response. Don't look like the world. Don't do it. Don't let him do it to you. You're being conformed by somebody. Let God do the conforming. And that's why he says part two. But be transformed 
is your next statement there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what the will of God is, okay, which obviously is in the Bible, okay, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Your next two blanks there, good and acceptable, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now notice it's not, and it is rotten and horrible and rains on your parade, right? See, that's what the world gets us to think about God. Said before, I'll say it again. Name one command in the scripture that's bad for us. God's never been hung up on rules. The only reason why we have the introduction of the law is to protect us from sin, right? At the very beginning, there was only one rule, one rule. That's it. Stay away from the tree. God's never been hung up. And the introduction of the law of the do's and don'ts was to protect us from the harmful effects of sin. And then Jesus in the New Testament, he narrows it back down to two. I've got the whole thing surmised for you. You don't have to memorize all the 500 and 600 or whatever the Jewish people had expounded upon. No, just two things is all you've got to remember. It started with one, you got it back down to two. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, I've got a theory. I think he really nailed it down back to one. Because if you're busy loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, what are you going to do? You're going to love other people as yourself, okay? So you're back down to one. So God's never been hung up with rules, but the things that we have in the scripture are the parameters, the corrals, to keep us in a pen of safety. And yet the world says, oh no, you'll miss out on so much fun, right? It's like the guy, I remember he said this, he was like, man, that's a good way of putting it. He says, you mean as a Christian, you know, with this other guy, he says, you mean as a Christian, you've never ever once uh, uh, taken a, a drink of alcohol? You've never once taken a drink of alcohol? Never once as a Christian? Why, how do you know you won't like it unless you try it? He says, well, do I have to put my head under a semi-truck tire while it's moving to find out if I like it? <laughs> no, right? And that's what God says. You don't need to sit there. Well, I've got, how many times you hear this? I've got to experiment. I've got to, how do you know? You know, I, I don't want to become a Christian now. I've got to, i got to, you know, do some things. And, you know, I've got to, you know, figure out what, like, What? That's saying that God doesn't know what he's talking about. And somehow we're missing out. It's all there for our protection. So don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Uh, the things that are here are good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, here's what he says. The Apostle Paul tells us the reason why for Bible study in this passage from his book in, uh, of the Roman, uh, to the Roman believers. In his statement, we can see that the preeminent importance of daily Bible study as a result of our sin nature, is your next two blanks there, sin nature, which as we saw, desires what uh, is contrary uh, or opposed to God, and the continual ungodly message of our lost society on us. We're going to hit that a little bit tonight, hopefully. Okay, ungodly message. So you got two things against you. Well, this is funny. It's like right off of Sunday sermon. Well, why do bad things happen? Our own sin nature, right? Living in an ungodly world, other people's sin, and of course, spiritual warfare is another one of them. We have a need then, therefore, because we're immersed in this culture. We're not, taking that, we're not in heaven yet. Anybody figure that out yet? Okay, so we're surrounded by this sin. We got a sin nature we got to deal with. We got to deal with other people's sin. We live in a world of sinfulness, okay? And then even Las Vegas here is taking on the name of Sin City, right? So guess what? All that is beaten down against us every single day trying to brainwash us to conform us into the world. But if we're appreciative of the mercy of God, we'll say absolutely not. When I'm done baking, man, I want to look like Jesus, Okay? And that's what he says there. You've got to pay attention there. The Greek word there, uh, here, uh, is metamorpho, from which we derive our English word metamorphosis. Okay, it's kind of like the butterfly that pops out. Okay, uh, anyway, and so he says this. It means to a change in form. Remember, you're being conformed. You're being molded into something. Okay, and that change comes from our mind. Now, that's the key word there, mind. 
okay, is where it takes place. This is where it happens. You are transformed in the renewing of your mind, okay, is what's going on there. And that's what he says. This is where it's taking place, a change of form. It's our thinking power, our reason, it's moral quality and activity. Being brought, renewed, or brought in line, is your next two blanks there, brought in line with the word of God. Can I translate that for you again? You're letting the Bible bring your mind in line, i.e., I'll translate a further step. You're letting the Bible conform you. Can I do it another step? You're letting the Bible brainwash you. See, that's, this seems like a bad thing. But this book is the only book on the planet that can unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from the world. Do you get it? And that's what I say. I, I'm brainwashed. Because what is in here is true. What is in here is good. What is in here is acceptable and praiseworthy and excellent and for my highest good. I want as much as that in my brain. Because again, what's the goal? In view of God's mercy, hey, when I'm done cooking, I want to look like Jesus. Okay, because we all are, it's like the escalator. It's not an issue, well, I need to be conformed or maybe someday I'll be conformed. No, you're being conformed right now. Today you are being conformed. Right now you're being conformed. The question is, what are you being conformed into? Okay, and it's either going to be conformed with the mold. If you can picture a person with clay in their hands, it's either the world doing this to you or it's the word of God, it's Jesus, right? But it's always happening, okay? And I think that's the struggle that many times we Christians uh, face is we'll do the right stuff. Again, like we said, you know, we'll, we'll uh, feed the white dog and God's conforming us. But then we get out of that and we go into the world and now the world starts and then it undoes everything that was just happening, Right? And so we go back and it's like, hey, he's starting to look like Jesus. No, he's starting to look like Satan. Hey, he's looking like Jesus. No, he's looking like Satan. And we do it to ourselves. Right? And we'd, I'd say come along better in the conforming process if we just stick to one. And it has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything with your logical response. Man, after all God's done for me, when all's said and done, I want to please him. I want to look like him. I want to live for him. Okay, and that's the battle that we're in. Here's what he says there. Uh, consistent, underline that one because that's the phrase there. Consistent study of the word of God will result in us setting our minds on things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Okay, it's what he says there, Colossians 3, 2. And allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us with dust bunnies. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what was that, John? Oh, yeah, uh, richly. Okay, so that means you, you basically, uh, if you, you poke a uh, Christian, uh, what comes out? Hopefully the word of God or something spiritual. You know what I'm saying? It's like we talked before, it's a sponge. Uh, that's a whole other conforming thing. A sponge soaks up. Well, if you squeeze a sponge, it will always squeeze out what that it uh, absorbed, right? And so as Christians, what are we absorbing? Because when pressure hits or somebody does something to you, bleh, out of your mouth, that'll tell you how spiritual you are. Okay, and what you do there. And that's the, that's the issue. To dwell in us richly, as we've uh, discussed before, this uh, finds its in in a transformed Life. Okay, now let's take a look at this conforming procedure. I want to deal with this a little bit tonight. This conforming procedure, and let's take a look at some effects of not studying the Bible. Because again, the premise, I believe, based here in Romans uh, chapter 12, that we are all being conformed. The question is, what are we ending up looking like? Okay, and unfortunately, uh, as we were talking earlier, uh, instead of the church being the salt and light, which is supposed to dictate the moral attributes and the direction of our culture, culture is dictating the moral attributes of the church. Now listen to this. 85% of all Americans identify themselves as Christians. Did you know that? I have a hard time believing that personally because if 85% of this country, our country, was true, born-again, on-fire, God-loving Christians, we would not be in the shape we're in. 
okay? But, hey, apparently you just say you're Christian and you're in like Flint. 39% of those Christians, though, who claim to be Christians in America, say that although Jesus Christ was crucified, he never had a physical resurrection. Now, wait a second, Tom, that's crazy. Where'd they get that idea? Well, maybe it's from the 35% of Christians in the church who also say that Jesus Christ was crucified but never had a physical resurrection. There is not much difference in that percentage there, folks, on the statistics. 39% of Americans versus 35% of the church. Okay, uh, 54% of all Americans believe that if a person is generally good in life, then they will earn a place in heaven. Oh, come on. I mean, where do they get that idea from, John? Well, maybe it's from the 38% of Christians in the church who believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn a place in heaven. What? In the church? Sounds to me like somebody's not studying their Bible. Okay? Uh, or, hey, 69% of uh, Americans do not believe that hell is an actual location of physical torment where people may be sent. What? I mean, that's all over the place. Old New Testament, we talked about that before. We say, hey, you've got to get saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. That's what Jesus came to do un- and destroy the works of the devil. Save us from hell, not from some mediocre life or poor economic situation. He came to save us from hell. But if there is no literal hell, why do you even come? Give me a break. Well, how did they get that? Well, maybe it's as we saw if you were here on Sunday, 65% of Christians say that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. Used to be 50%, then it went up to 51, 52. I checked the stat last week. It's up to 65. 65% of the church doesn't believe in a literal devil. Absolutely mind-blowing. One guy said this. He said, the Christian body in America is immersed in a crisis of biblical illiteracy. How else can you describe matters when most church-going adults reject the accuracy of the Bible, reject the existence of Satan, claim that Jesus sinned, see no need to evangelize, believe that good works are one of the keys to persuading God to forgive their sins? In many ways, he says, we are living in an age of theological anarchy. Can I tell you something? Somewhere along the line, we got off track, and instead of you and I as the church being the salt and the light to this world so that the world will start to be conformed to look like Jesus and act like Jesus, and love like Jesus, we look like the world. Because we're not in the book that will unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from this world. Okay? That's the status that we're in. Now, a lot of you guys might think, well, hey, that's, that's a pretty serious charge, Pastor Billy, to lay the blame on the church uh, for the, the uh, problems with our culture. Hey, folks, it's always been that way if you study revival, and not just with America, but even the Old Testament with Israel. It's been the same thing. Once the people of God go south, everything goes south. Uh, uh, 1830s, a guy came over here to America, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville. And he came over here, if you've never heard of him, and he's a Frenchman, he came over here to find out the secret of the success of America. Because if you know our great Christian nation, our heritage, and what we did as a people here in this nation, we took on the number one world power, a bunch of ragtag people, okay, and, they, and we whooped them. <laughs> whooped them, man, okay? You read the Founding Fathers' documents, you read their commentaries of the Times, I mean, I mean, they would put a lot of us Christians to shame with their biblical knowledge and quotations and stuff like that. Uh, the very first dictionary, uh, uh, Webster, man, he gave his personal testimony at the very beginning. They sure ripped that out pretty quick, okay? And it was, that, that was our heritage, okay? And so he came over here, and listen to this. Here's a quote from him, what he found to the greatness of our country. He says, I sought for the greatness and genius of America and her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for it in her fertile fields and her boundless prairies, and it was not there. I I looked for it in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. He said, not until I went into the 
churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power? Listen, he gave a warning. America is great because America is good, but if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. It's the church. I've said this for years, guys. We do not need revival in America. We need revival in the American church. We got the cart before the horse, and until we get our act together, it's going to continue to go down tubes. Now, the good news is, if you study revival in our nation, it doesn't take a whole lot of people. You know what? God could do it here at sunrise. Maybe God could use sunrise to get our hearts back on track. And in true, genuine repentance, by the mercies of God, out of thankfulness for what he's done, we get our lives right, we get back to letting him mold us, boom, revival busts out. Doesn't have to be in a mega church. Just a group of people who love Jesus and that fire begins to spread. Okay, that's what we need. But if we don't have daily time with God, we're missing the whole point. Okay, so how did this happen? Well, I think there's two things that the enemy's done very well to us to keep us away from this daily time with God. Okay, and away from this relationship aspect, getting rid of the consistency. Because remember, he wants us to not be brainwashed. Because if you get brainwashed uh, by the Bible, i.e. unbrainwashed from the enemy, you're going to become a threat. You're going to become a threat. You become the exact mighty soldier, mighty uh, Christian of God that God wants you to be and affect this world and expose the lies and the traps and the deceits of the evil one. He doesn't want that to happen. Okay, now listen, he cannot take away the Bible from the church. You know what he's done? He gets the church away from the Bible, right? Hey, listen, this whole sanctuary is full of Bibles. If that was the antidote just to have a Bible, then we'd be the most spiritual church on the planet, Right? But that's not what, you got to get in it. And so that's the first thing that I think that he's done, especially in these last days, guys. And the first thing that he's done to, to, to we've ceased to become a great nation. Now, let me finish that before I get that. It isn't just with a country. I think it's the same principle for a church. Why is America going down the tubes? Because we've lost our love for Jesus Christ as a great nation, right? We need to get it back as a nation. Why did churches go down the tubes? Why did churches no longer make an impact? Why? Did, why? It's the same principle. Because a church can lose their love for Jesus Christ and start looking like the world. Can I take it one step further? Uh, how about your walk with Jesus Christ? Why, Pastor Billy? I started out with such gangbusters. For many years, I was serving Jesus, and I just can't. Somewhere along the line, you made a deliberate choice, and you stopped your daily time with God. You got tricked, and now you're reversing the procedure, and you're being conformed to this world. It's the same principle, not just with the country, with the church, even with the Christians, the same thing. The first thing that he's done, guys, is he has distracted us with the Bible. He's distracted. He's basically, connected. he's stealing, he's taking away our time. Because to me, over the years, and even our own personal, my own personal temptations, it always comes down to time. Oh, wow, man, Pastor, really, he, he really got us good on Wednesday night about studying the Bible. Man, I tell you what, well, I tell you what, as soon as I get more, it's not that we don't have time. Personally, it's we don't take the time. Because that's the, the, the thermometer of our hearts, guys. We don't urge. We don't have that urge for that which is right. We get an urge for that which is wrong. Okay? And he's taking our time. And one of the biggest ones he's done, folks, in the last days is with the media. And this hit me many years ago in ministry. I never planned on it. I had no idea that God was going to have us have a teaching ministry and all that stuff. But that's the heartbeat of Get a Life Ministries is sharing uh, uh, Jesus Christ with this world one piece of media at a time. Because the enemy is using the media for so much stinking evil to brainwash us into anything and everything but Jesus. How about, what are we going to do? Just sit back, well, just, and let him have free reign? 
It's like, no, while we still have the freedom and the technology, let's use that same media for good, okay? And, but he's using the media against us. And let, me, let me demonstrate that to you. The daily average usage of, of uh, uh, people watching just television, I'm not talking iPods, I'm not talking cell phones, I'm not talking any of that stuff, texting anything, just TV. Family combined is just under seven hours a day. I, hey, I'm not even saying cut the whole thing out. Just cut half of that. You got three and a half hours to spend time with God. If you just cut out half of the average family time with TV and you invest it in with God, our country would turn around just like that. But we're addicted to that thing. Listen to these stats. Uh, oh, one person said, with TV sets turned on in the inner city for 11 hours a day, multiplying satellite, cable, broadcast channels, television has become the closest, the most constant companion for American children. It's become the nation's mom and pop, storyteller, babysitter, preacher, teacher, and the question that more concerning parents, psychologists, and public officials is this, what is all this viewing doing to them? Can I tell you something? It's brainwashing them. It's making them into something that doesn't look like Jesus. Because what is on that thing, folks? Uh, by the time kids reach kindergarten, the average American child has seen between 6,000 and 8,000 hours of television, which is approximately one-third of their total preschool uh, waking hours. At maturity, they will have spent more time in front of a television than in any classroom. By the age of 10, most kids can name more brands of beer than presidents. On average, by the time a child reaches the age of 18, they will have witnessed 200,000 acts of violence on TV, Okay, 14,000 sexual references every year, okay? And by the time the kids today are the age of 70, they will have spent seven to 10 years of their lives watching just TV. But we don't have time for God? Now again, it'd be one thing if that was completely neutral, but half the junk that's on there is absolutely putrid, okay? Remember, you're being conformed by something. So is it any wonder that we start looking like the world when we have no time with God, let alone daily time with God, and we sit there and invest seven hours a day in something that is anti-God? Has nothing to do with legalism. It has what Paul says, it's common sense, it's logical. If you love Jesus Christ, if you want to be conformed to his image as we say that we want to be, you're being conformed into something. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Well, how do I get squeezed into God's mold? You get back to daily time with God in prayer and you get back in the book. Okay, is what's going on there. Okay, now let me give you some uh, proof that uh, it's actually affecting the church. Right now, 50% of Christians say there are no absolute truth. Where in the world do Christians, that's half the church. Half of you tonight don't believe in absolute truth. Well, I know the Bible says you shouldn't commit adultery, but that's what you think. That's what he's saying. This is called relativism, which is ridiculous because that's basically saying there's, there are no absolutes. Really? I'll show you 10 of them. Those are from God. Well, you can't judge. Well, I'm not judging. God is. I'm just upholding what he said. So your problem isn't with me. I'm just a newspaper boy. I'm reporting the judgment. He's the judge, right? And we need to uphold it is really what's going on. That's the scapegoat from the world. Plus, relativism is ridiculous. If you were to say that all truth is relegated to you, okay, and there are no absolutes, the moment you just said there are no absolutes, you just made an absolute statement. It's ridiculous. And if somebody says, well, I determine what is right and wrong. Really, give me your wallet, John. And if he were to give it to me, but he knows better, okay? And I literally leave here tonight, and, I don't, and he's going to immediately stop me and lay hands on me in a profound way and want his wallet back. And I'm going to turn to John and say, excuse me, John, in my world, I determined that that was perfectly fine. 
Oh, oh, so you're saying it's wrong. So you're saying that, yes, by laying hands on me. Uh, no, there are absolutes, Pastor Billy. Okay, that's exactly right. It's ridiculous, right? But that is, where, where does the church get that? From this world. We're being conformed to this world. 33% of Christians say that homosexuality is okay. One third of the church. That's an old stat. I think it's actually higher today, in my opinion. Why? Uh, because did you know that 95 to 98 percent of sitcom uh, in America contain messages that are promoting pro-homosexual uh, lifestyles? Lifestyles isn't that a, isn't that a term? It's called sin. And before anybody gets homophobic or anything, give me a break. Don't cop on that one sin, okay? Because can I tell you something? I'm not condoning that. Please don't misunderstand my statement, but I'm so sick and tired of people in the church getting on one track mind saying that that sin's the unpardonable sin, but you'll sit there and you'll gossip and you'll slander and you'll beat people up with your mouth. And God hates that. The Bible says that such people as those will not inherit the kingdom of God. In that list, he didn't mention homosexuality. He's not condoning it, but he did talk about gossips. Okay? And so I'm not saying get in that, but how does the church get into that state? Because you're listening, you're being molded into the world. 49% of Christians today don't have a problem with the distribution of pornography. Of course not. It's all over the television, right? It's all over the billboards. It's everywhere you go. What's the big deal, right? Uh, 55% of the Christians say that the Bible has errors in it. Oh, come on. How could the church say that? That's over half now. Well, haven't you been watching the History Channel? I mean, they obviously know more than God. Where do you think this comes from, guys? This isn't they just woke up one day and go, oh, I think the Bible has errors in it. Something's conforming them. You get it? Okay, has nothing to do with legalism. You gotta understand the battle that we're in. Uh, 29% of Christians say that Jesus, yeah, he lived on earth, but he committed sins like everybody else. Hey, 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 didn't you watch that special on the real Jesus on the History Channel not too long ago? Have you ever noticed they always air those kind of sickening, blaspheming programs right around Christmas, right around Easter? Tell me that's not deliberate, Okay. Uh, 25% of Christians agreed that it doesn't matter what faith you follow because all paths lead to heaven. Oh, come on. I mean, every Christian knows John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him, right? Huh? Where do they get that idea? The world. They're listening to the world. They're letting the world mold them, conform them into the image that's not God. Now listen, this one's shocker. Uh, 49% of pastors in America today, remember this with Alexis de Tocqueville? America is good because America is great. And he's talking about spirituality. But if America ceases to become great spiritually, uh, America will cease to become uh, uh, good as well. Okay, and great. And 49% of pastors across America no longer have a biblical worldview. Do you realize the effect of that reality? That means one out of two churches you go to, on average, one out of two, what you get from the pulpit's not even biblical. That's the problem because it leads to the next stat. Listen, 93% of professing Christians no longer have a biblical worldview. If there were 200 people here on Sunday, that means only 14 people are thinking correctly according to the Bible because it spills downhill. If one out of two of your pastors won't even preach the Bible, doesn't believe in the Bible, or won't promote the scriptural truth or soft pedals it, what's going to happen to the flock? Bible says that the, the word of God is useful for rebuke, for, for training in righteousness, and for, uh, for correction, etc., etc. If you look at what the Bible is used for, there's four things that are used there. Half of them are convicting. 
So if the word of God's truly being preached in the church, half the time you should be squirming. <laughs> right? I didn't say that, the Bible did. Why? Because we're being conformed. And because we've had this brainwashing procedure from the world, naturally there's gonna be leftover things that have to be dealt with. And when they're dealt with, it's convicting, it's not pleasant, but that's part of the healing process. Right, you ever get a splinter in your hand? Okay, and your mom tried to get it out, what'd you do? Oh, mom, thank you. You are so mighty and wonderful. Please, I cannot wait for the next time that you remove that thorn in my hand. I cannot wait for that blessed tweezer to come down to my view and grab my skin and rip it off. What did the kid do? Ah, you're killing me. Ah, right? It's like, we're trying to get it out, right? And you got it out, and so it's cool. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's for our good, right? You didn't, how many times when you guys, when you read the Bible, sometimes, especially early on as a Christian, at least it happened to me, you came across the Bible, and it's like, ooh, I didn't know that was wrong. Take the thorn out, right? It's, it's the conforming process, okay? And again, that's why that one guy, I would say, rightly so, said that we are in an age of um, uh, theological anarchy, which again, is we're being conformed by the world is the problem. Now, the second thing that he's done with this, very quickly, hopefully, uh, is he's dissuaded us from that. He's distracted us. He's taken away our time that we'll actually that. But then he's dissuaded us because then we'll come back, and this is the theme of the relationship aspect. We'll come back and say, okay, well, I'm not going to watch uh, seven hours of, of media a day. I don't want to, when I'm done baking, I want to look like Jesus. I don't want to do that no more. No way, no, no, I'm tired of getting spankings from God. I want to look like Jesus, you know. Okay, uh, but uh, I'd love to study the Bible, Pastor Billy, but I, I just don't know how. It's just too hard. Where do you start? And so we come up with all these excuses, like you've got to be some sort of brainiac to study the Bible, and we never get around to it. You get it? First, he takes away our time. He distracts us. Second, he dissuades us. We come up with these, well, it's just too hard. You've got to have an IQ. Like Ron. <laughs> I just can't match it, man. I didn't score too well on that test. No, the, the Greek word for Bible study that's used there, folks, is spudadzo. Isn't that a cool word? I like that. That sounds like one of those fancy living ice creams, isn't it? No, that's spumani jam. I know what you're talking about. It's spudadzo is what's going on there. And it simply means to excitedly discover information. Uh, that's, that's the Chrome translation, breaking it down, what the Greek says. And that's all we're doing when we're studying the Bible. We're excitedly discovering information. But the context is about who? The most exciting thing in the universe, God. That's all it is. It's easy to do, folks. God picked something that we can all do. He didn't say, uh, only for those really super smart, high IQ people like Ron uh, can study the Bible. The rest of you, <laughs> you're on your own. No. Just like with prayer, how many guys can talk? <laughs> you prayer warriors, you. Huh? Isn't that awesome? Then you can pray. Because remember, that's all prayer is. Not this religious fluff. You're just talking, communicating with God. The same thing with Bible study. How many guys can research a particular topic or something that you're just really passionate about? You know, about all those articles of why chicken is harmful to your health. I mean, that's some serious, important stuff. I mean, you just get in there and you dig into it. It's like, whoa, right? How many guys have passionately uh, 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 research and uh, uh, stats and statistics and it could be about sports or it could be about this or that. I mean, you don't even think twice about it. Same premise here. How many guys can get that latest bestseller, uh, hopefully Christian bestseller, and, and you get in there and you devour it, man? You just... Well, can I tell you something? That's what Bible study is. It's just excitingly discovering information. Stats and finding out topics. and, 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 and uh, Boy, you talk about some exciting stories, but they're real. It's in the Bible. You want some serious action? Arnold Schwarzenegger action uh, movies? 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, eat your heart out. Read the book of Judges. That's a God book. <laughs> they went out there and, and he, he beat them a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. And I said, yeah. Rambo couldn't even do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that machine gun. You know, this is, and this really happened. This is their make-believe like Hollywood. That was supernatural act of God. Huh? Gideon took on a whole army. Right? 300 guys. And you know what they defeated the army with? Can you imagine that? Rambo's got all these guns, these knives, and all this, this bow and arrow with his dynamite tips on it and stuff like that. These guys had clay pots and a torch. <laughs> that really happened. That's some serious action, man. And that's all it is. We're excitedly discovering information. Now, as we close here, I have my trusty sidekick and faithful wife, Brandy. It's coming on down. We're going to do as we close tonight, uh, because I want to nail down this aspect, because don't be this way, oh, I don't know how, it's so hard, okay, and we're going to do a little, a little wordplay thing going on here, you got your little script there, okay, and I'm going to do three things that you don't do when you, uh, attitudes to have when you study the Bible, okay, a little closer for the camera view, and uh, yeah, and, uh, but uh, three things that you don't do, and again, the Bible's 66 books, right? Uh, 3927, Old Testament, New Testament, okay, if you will, there's 66 love letters from God. Okay, so we're going to play on that. If you guys know, obviously I was here by myself for about four months. And, uh, and then the, the first reinforcements came with the weenie dogs. Yeah. And uh, then kids and stuff like that. But anyway, so we were apart for about four months. Okay, now let's say, let's have a little theory that during that four months for our relationship, for the good of our relationship, Brandy wrote me 66 love letters. I know, it melts your heart, doesn't it? God's done the same thing for us in the Bible. I hope that's our attitude. Oh. But anyway, so, but it really is. Okay, and so this is what, I, here she's going to come in for a trip, and then she's going to ask me about the love letters, and my first wrong attitude is an attitude of carelessness. Okay, don't, don't do this. Ready? Ready? Hit it. Honey, I'm home. Oh, it's so good to see you, Billy, and I'm so sorry I had to be away for such a long time, but at least I was able to leave you all those love letters to help strengthen our, our relationship until I made it back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those love letters. Well, you did read them, didn't you? Well, I, yeah, I wanted to read them, you know, of course. Yeah, I love you. Um, but I, I just didn't have the time. But I tell you what I did, Brent. I'll tell you what I did, man. Just to show you how much I love you, I put all your 66 love letters uh, on a big old pile right here on the coffee table so when people come over to the house, they can see them right there and show how much I love you. That's convicting, isn't it? What would have impressed me is if you would have read them, not stared at them or displayed them for others to see or to stare at as well. And as far as time, really? I've been gone for four months and you didn't have the time? Well, it looks like you have had time for all kinds of other things. I see you have a newspaper there on the table and a copy of Sports Illustrated, which, by the way, you're in big big trouble for, mister. And when I came in the room, you were watching TV. And you still say you don't have time to read my love letters? Thanks a lot, Billy. I thought you cared about me. John, pray for me. (laughs) (laughs) What? I love my wife. She went through the whole hassle of giving me 66 love letters. I just, I didn't read them, period. I spent all the time doing other things else but that. But then I tried to impress her with this uh, incredible uh, uh, display on the deal. When people come by, they say, wow, he must love his wife. Look at that stack of love letters. Unopened. We never do that as Christians. 
with the big giant family Bible that's 900 pounds right on the coffee table with the mantle. Yeah, exciting. Hey, number two, how about an attitude of aimlessness? Here's the scenario. We'll skip ahead to this part. So basically, Brandy comes in. Hey, honey, I'm home. Uh, I'm so glad uh, I'm to see you. I've been away for a long time, uh, but I'm so glad I left you all those 66 love letters to strengthen our relationship with you. And I, of course, I come back with, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, those love letters. So you did read them, didn't you? Well, you see, Brandy, uh, did I tell you I love you? Just want to reiterate that. Okay, I, I, I wanted to read them, but I just, I just didn't know how to read them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I started one, but I just... I couldn't understand what you were saying. I mean, I'm a guy, right? You know what I'm saying? And besides, come on, there's 66 of them. Gee willikers, man. I mean, whoa! And that's how excited I was when I got them originally. Uh, but anyway, so, so, but I, I just didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to start with all these love letters. Uh, it's just so, I, I just quit. You know, but you know what? I think I need to take a class. That's what I need to do. I need to take a love letter reading class and I'll get the job done. And all men yeah. said? But don't you think if you would just apply yourself, it would start to make sense at no, in no time at all? And as far as not knowing where to start, how about any of them? Just pick one. They're all love letters from me. What's the difference? Just read one. Thanks a lot, Billy. Nice relationship we've got going on here. I'm in trouble. What's going on there, man? What's the big idea? Left all those there, and but I have to actually take a class to read a love letter? Same thing about the Bible, isn't it? You hear all those excuses. And the final one to this was we close. Basically, Brandy comes home. Basically, hey, I'm so glad I left the love letters uh, for you to read, and you have been reading them. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah, those love letters. Well, you did read them, didn't you? Well, of course I did, Brandy. I love you. And I'm a guy who's serious about our relationship. And uh, in fact, just this morning, I was able to cram in several pages of one of them before I had to head off to work. And get this, Brandy, believe it or not, last night I was able to read 15, that's right, 15 of your love letters. I beat my previous record from Tuesday of 14. Isn't that awesome? I'm making such great progress. Oh, that's wonderful, Billy. Well, at least you're reading them now. So what did you learn about me? How did it deepen our relationship? Uh, actually... I don't really remember what I read. <laughs> but listen, it's the thought that counts, right? You know, I mean, listen, you don't get it, man. I was able to beat my record. I mean, I beat my record. Who's the man? Woo! But Billy, don't you see? I wrote those letters to help improve our relationship, to deepen our marriage. What good is it if you can't remember what you just read? How is that helping us? No, Billy, you're not the man. Uh, you're not the man. You're not the man. Uh, Thanks a lot, Billy. Looks like I just wasted my time writing you all those love letters. Hey, give it up for wife lady. Yay, yay. All right, that's awesome. Man, how many guys would say that I'm in trouble? Woo, big trouble. Not just trouble, but big trouble. Doghouse the rest of the week. All right, now that was, of course, was a big setup. Uh, you wonder why that we Christians oftentimes are in the doghouse, so to speak, in a walk with God. Why are we in the doghouse in our country? Why are churches in the doghouse? It's the exact 
same reason. I'm telling you guys, in my experience, it's been these two big things that the enemy keeps us away from daily time with God. If we are going to be a great nation once again, if you're going to be a great Christian doing great things for Jesus Christ, if we're going to be a great church, we cannot give in to his distractions and we cannot let anything dissuade us. But I'm telling you, you can just cut to the chase, just like in a marriage relationship, it's not that difficult. If you can study about anything else, some historical figure, I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, did you sit there and go, gee, I really would like to learn about George Washington but I <laughs> just can't do it. It's too hard. You have to get away from that mentality. They're all traps because, listen, here's the premise as we close. We are all being conformed right now as we speak. You've been being conformed today. You're being conformed right now, and however many days we have left on earth, we're going to be conformed. The question is, who is going to conform you? And if we're going to end up looking like Jesus Christ because we're thankful for what he's done for us, by the mercies of God, I urge you, brethren, get back to daily time with God in prayer and get back in the Bible and let's at least do our part to get our country back on track for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven? 
on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty, And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy... The person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.